Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Queen. Nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, October 28th, 2020 is Queen, as in Freddie Mercury, as in we are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers because we are the champions of the world. My favorite song. I love listening to that after the Marlins won the World Series in 2003. First, they played New York, New York in Yankee Stadium because they do that even after a loss. Then in the clubhouse, celebrating. That's the song that's playing. So I think of that song every time there's a World Series winner, every time there's a winner in any league. And last night, headline alert, breaking news, the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the World Series. The Los Angeles Dodgers have won their first World Series since 1988. History will record 2020 as the year the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series. Hurry up. Who won the World Series in 1981? Who won the World Series in 1995? There have been several seasons throughout baseball that have been out of the ordinary, that have been shorter, that have been stranger. But as time passes, the history books will simply reflect that in this year of COVID, in this year of a global pandemic, the Los Angeles Dodgers were the last team standing, celebrating on the field at Globe Life Field in Texas as they won a World Series. They weren't playing the Texas Rangers. They were playing the Tampa Bay Rays. A neutral site World Series had been completed. A quasi-bubble had been formed during the postseason. We have so much to get to today. This is all World Series. Thank you for tuning in. Coke and I were talking about doing the show at 4 a.m. this morning. We both went to bed around that time, having talked after the game. So much to unpack. I don't quite understand that expression, but they use that in the media. They'll get on the, on the air. Last night on CBS Sports HQ, so much to unpack. That usually is reserved for after a long trip. But this game, game six, where I was incredibly public and loud that I was picking the Rays to win game six, Blake Snell had the great advantage, the starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. This series was going to go seven. I had the Rays in seven as my pick. That was a wait to see that lost. <laughs> I had the Rays winning game six. That was a double down wait to see that lost. I had the Rays as my pick of the day. That was a pick of the day that lost. I'm only two over 500, Coco, by the way, 30 and 28. Can you believe that? I'm watching the game before I can even take my shoes off after the pregame. 
I don't even have a chance to breathe. And Tony Gonsolin, the bullpen starter, after I said the word of the day was regret yesterday, if you didn't listen to yesterday's show yet, then you're out of order. You're out of order. Yesterday's show regret was the word of the day. The Dodgers will show regret. Spoiler alert, they may show regret later in this show. But it turns out it wasn't the Dodgers who showed regret for pitching Tony Gonsolin. He goes out in the first inning. Second batter up, Randy Arazarena. Here comes the pitch. It's a slider away. It's a great pitch. I'm thinking he's going to flail at that. Maybe he can poke it into right field for a duck fart base hit. Nope. Randy Arazarena hits his 10th postseason home run. Extending his record, not his rookie record, extending the all-time postseason record for home runs. 10. Forget the fact that he had an extra series. By the way, Coca, did you know that Arazarena did not hit a home run in the first two games that the Rays played against the Blue Jays? So in theory, he hit the 10 home runs in the same number of series as Barry Bonds and others who had held the previous record of eight. Arazarena had two base hits yesterday, including the home run, extending his record of rookie base hits in a postseason. Don't count the first two games for all of you people who don't like to compare apples to oranges because this year there were more, an extra postseason series. By the way, that whole argument drives me up a creek, which is a mixed metaphor. It drives me up a wall. The Yankees, with all of their pennants, how many of those pennants did not require a division series? Just asking. For those historians in the room, How many times when there were fewer teams did the Yankees win a World Series? But yet, when you ask how many World Series do the Yankees have, you count them all. Randy Arozarena deserves every bit of accolade he gets. And here's the most ironic part. Randy Arozarena is a rookie. Do you know what he'll be next season? He will still be a rookie. In one of the great rules of Major League Baseball, you are a rookie until you acquire a certain number of days of service. Let's call it 100 days of service. If you are a September call-up in a regular season, which goes six months, with September being the last season, the last month of the regular season, you can play in September. Then you get to play all of next year still as a rookie, which means if the Tampa Rays are in the World Series or even the postseason, he gets to extend his rookie record for base hits, extend his rookie record should he hit home runs or extra base hits. He is eligible to be rookie of the year next year. He's eligible to be a postseason MVP as a rookie again next year. He will still make the minimum next year. Will he have the sophomore slump? That's a way to see. Not official for those keeping track like I am, as I am. But the reality is, that Arazarena had one of the most memorable postseasons. If Tampa had won this series, he was the clear MVP. The only member of the lineup for me who I'd be nervous about if I were the Dodgers. The only member of the lineup I don't want to beat me. Everyone else is hitting a buck 50 for crying out loud. Blake Snell gets a one nothing lead. It should have been more. Put a pin in that statement because 
after a Rosarena's home run in the top of the first inning when we said on nothing personal that it was critical. The Rays had to score early to give Blake Snell a lead. Then Blake Snell had to hold off Betts, Seeger, and Turner in the first inning because the previous games, the Dodgers had gotten an early lead. And when the Rays have an early lead, they hold on more often than they don't. Put a pin in that, you're going to hear more. A Rosarena homers, more action, two men on, Gonsolin gets out of it, one nothing Rays at the end of a half inning. Blake Snell takes the mound. Game six, regular rest. Mookie Betts, strike one, strike two, strike three. Next up, Corey Seager, out. Turner, out. Blake Snell would face Betts, Seager, and Turner twice last night. They were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts. Just make sure that you're completely understanding this concept. 0 for 6 with six strikeouts were Betts, who, by the way, Blake Snell became the first pitcher to strike out Mookie Betts twice in a game while swinging, all season long. Blake Snell had four pitches going for him last night. Blake Snell was throwing darts. Blake Snell was walking up to the catcher and placing the ball in the catcher's mitt. Blake Snell was dealing. Blake Snell was pitching as though he had won the Cy Young Award, which he had a couple years ago. Blake Snell was returning to form. He was getting either strikeouts or early contact. Blake Snell had a lead of one nothing. We get into the second inning, third inning. Rays have a chance to add on, and they don't. It's still one nothing. You feel as though this is going to be a one nothing final. The questions are coming in my mind. How long does Blake Snell go? If you keep his pitch count down, Blake Snell has a chance to do a Josh Beckett, even though Josh Beckett was for the win of the series, to do a complete game shutout. I'm thinking in my head, what is going on in right now in the front office of the Rays as they're watching the game? The GM Neander, the President Silverman. What's going on in Kevin Cash's mind? Do I ignore the front office? Do I ignore the plan? Do I ignore what has been happening all season where we pull our starter and then hand it over to the best bullpen in baseball and watch the triumvirate of Nick Anderson, Peter Fairbanks, and Diego Castillo ride us into a game seven. I'm watching Kevin Cash on TV and I'm getting inside his head. The conclusion I made was simple. Blake Snell was 73 pitches having just given up a hit to Austin Barnes in the sixth inning. He had gone five and a third. Nick Anderson warming up in the pen. It can't be. There is no way you are pulling Blake Snell right now. He's about to face the top of the lineup. He has dominated. There's one thing you learn in baseball when you're willing to watch a game and you're a front office willing to believe in what you see. There are nights that are inexplicable. There are moments that a pitcher has that you can't plan for. You have to adjust for. You 
have to allow for. Last night was one of those moments where Blake Snell had to stay in with a one nothing lead and face Betts and Seeger and Turner. But the analytics said otherwise. The analytics said that you don't let Blake Snell go three times through the lineup. Austin Barnes was hitting ninth. Mookie Betts first. He gave up a hit to Austin Barnes. The lineup was turned over. Out comes Kevin Cash. It can't be. He's not going to take him out. He's going to go talk to Blake Snell. And Blake Snell will stay in the game. Kevin Cash then goes to the bullpen. Hits his arm. That's what you do when you call a pitcher from the bullpen. You hit your left arm if you're going for the lefty. You hit your right arm if you're going for a righty. Some managers point. They put up their left pointer if they want the lefty, their right pointer if they want the righty, and they point to the bullpen. I've seen managers point to the wrong bullpen because they can't remember where their bullpen is in stadiums where bullpens are on the left and right field side. Newer stadiums have bullpens right near each other. Marlins Park doesn't, but some do. In comes Nick Anderson, and I am losing my mind in Studio A on Floor 3 in Stamford, Connecticut at CBS Sports HQ. I'm accused of playing the result, and that's horse hockey. I never play the result. I play the situation. I explain the situation, and then I watch it unfold and comment on it. If Nick Anderson comes in the game and doesn't give up a hit, gets out of the inning, and the Rays go on to win nothing, to win the game one nothing, and we have a game seven tonight, I am telling you that the Tampa Bay Rays made a mistake. It worked out for them, but they made a mistake. What you may not know is that it didn't work out for the Tampa Bay Rays because we started nothing personal by singing We Are the Champions. Nick Anderson comes in, Mookie Betts is up. You know, we don't talk enough about is what players do as it relates to non-analytic thinking. I've had so many conversations in clubhouses with hitters, whether it's Miguel Cabrera, spoken to Barry Bonds about this. I've been so lucky to be surrounded by Hall of Fame hitters. Not flexing, but I've just, I've been in a clubhouse for so many years that you have a chance to really learn if you're willing to listen, which is a great lesson in life. The best learning you do, how ironic that I do a show where I don't shut up for 45 minutes, but the most learning I've ever done is from the listening that I do. The most learning I've ever done is from the reading I've done. I learned how to do this in law school, where you take all the information you can, you put it in your brain, and then you make a decision. And if you believe in the foundation of your decisions, you never have regret. Nick Anderson gives up a double to Mookie Betts. He gives up a fielder's choice to Corey Seager. Before you know it, it's 2-1. Before you know it, the Dodgers are leading. Here's what happened in that inning. When you're an offensive team facing a pitcher who is not giving up any hits, you're not. The reason for that is that as a hitter, in order to hit a ball, you have to see the ball and you have to see the spin. That's something that cannot be taught. Coaches don't try to explain how to see spin. You either do or you don't. Barry Bonds is our hitting coach with the Marlins, would always talk to the players and to me 
How come you didn't see that that was a breaking ball? Some players just can't do it. Barry Bonds could. And the sooner you pick up the spin of the ball, and I'm talking about milliseconds here, that informs your brain to get a message to your hands that either you stop or you swing. And when you see the spin and you decide from your brain to your hands to swing, by seeing the spin, your brain tells your hands what angle to swing at because that's where the ball will be when it's in the hitting zone. Mookie Betts acknowledged after the game that they couldn't see Blake Snell. That's the expression used. We couldn't see him. Dave Roberts admitted after the game that he was doing the Snoopy dance when Kevin Cash went to the bullpen because that was the only chance they had to win that game last night. You take your chances with the bullpen because the starting pitcher, there was no chance for the Dodgers. So in comes Nick Anderson. He gives it up. Meanwhile, the Dodgers bullpen, which I said would not be able to withstand the race over nine innings. Gonsolin ends up going one and a third again. They go through a parade of pitchers. They're using Baez, one of their late inning leverage guys early. They go inning by inning, all of a sudden in the seventh inning, out comes Julio Urias. Interesting. I'm in. I like that move. Urias is the man who started game four. Remember the young kid who has more postseason wins before the age of 24 than anyone in history? The man with the slowest heartbeat of anyone? The man who we tried to trade for when he was in minor leagues and they wouldn't let go? In he comes, cruises through the seventh. Rays are panicked. The Rays have lost all confidence. Kevin Cash and the Tampa Bay Rays front office have taken a voodoo pin and stuck it in the mojo of the Rays during game six of the World Series. Eighth inning, Urias back. You're up. You're out. Razarena's up, he's out. We're going to the ninth. Three defensive outs to go. Do they bring in Kenley Jansen? Do they bring in Blake Trinan, who saved game five? Or do you stick with Urias? I'll tell you right now how this went down. Analytics would tell you that you do not let Urias go another inning even though he had performed perfectly. Fully rested, even though he had just pitched, but it was a bullpen day and this was like a bullpen session. That's the type of job he was doing. Give the hitters a different look. Nope. Dave Roberts and the Dodgers realized that you're bringing Urias out for the ninth. They were going to let Urias in a non-game seven Take it home for them. If that had been an elimination game for the Dodgers, the computers would have won. In an elim- in a non-elimination game for the Dodgers, Dave Roberts was able to use his feel and make a decision on his own to keep Urias in. The conversation before the game with Andrew Friedman goes like this. 
In an ideal world, here's how we're going to line it up. Urias is going to come in. If we've got a lead and you feel like he's going well, ride him. That's not the way the conversation goes for game seven. Urias goes through, one up, ninth inning. Two up, two out, ninth inning. In comes to hit Adamas, the shortstop for the Rays, who couldn't hit the side of a barn the entire World Series. Non-competitive at-bats. Strike one, strike two, strike three, looking. The Dodgers win the game. Austin Barnes receives the final pitch before throwing up his helmet, ripping off his mask, and rushing the mound to hug Urias. He had the frame of mind, brilliantly, love him, former Marlin. He put the World Series winning ball in his right back pocket. That ball will be given back to the front office, I assure you. He doesn't get to sell it on eBay, folks. We let Josh Beckett keep the final ball. Actually, that I want to talk about that for one second here, Coca. Unscripted, didn't plan this pre-show. Josh Beckett, when he won the World Series for the Marlins in 2003, it was a tapper by George Posada back to the mound. The ball goes in his glove. He tags Posada. The Marlins win the World Series. We could have asked Beckett for that ball back. But instead, that night, we said to him, and I remember going to Jeffrey Laurie, the owner, and saying, we can ask for that ball. That is a historic ball in franchise history. That is a ball like a Hall of Fame ball. And Jeffrey Laurie said, let Josh Beckett keep that ball right where it is. And so Josh Beckett still has that ball in that glove. It never came out. It's never been moved. Josh Beckett actually gave me one of his other gloves from that game. And I put a World Series game used ball in that glove and framed it. It is a game used World Series ball from game six. It's a pretty cool piece of memorabilia if you're listening, Steiner. But it is not the final out. That is where it was. Austin Barnes takes the ball, puts it in his pocket. The Dodgers celebrate. All of a sudden, during the course of the celebration, you're thinking about the World Series and what Kevin Cash did to blow this game for the Rays. And then you're realizing that you have to do post-game analysis and it's not Kevin Cash's fault. This was predetermined by the Tampa Rays before the game started that Blake Snell would not go three times through the lineup. Hard stop. No ability to use your eyes. No ability to use your gut. And here's why the Rays do that. The analogy is this. Of course, baseball is not life or death. But the analogy is when you're flying a plane as a pilot and you're flying with instruments and the instruments tell you when you're going up and when you're going down, the instruments tell you where the horizon is. There's sometimes that you're flying with instruments only and you can't see the horizon. You don't know whether you're going up or down and your mind tells you that you're going down. Something's gone wrong. So you override the instruments and you pull up. And what that really does is have the opposite impact and your plane has a problem. 
It happened with Kobe Bryant's helicopter. It happened with John F. Kennedy's plane crash. Unfortunately, it happens and it leads to tragedy. And what pilots are taught to do is ignore your brain, ignore your eyes. What you do is what the instruments say to do. And where you are is where the instruments say you are, period. There is no room for any human interpretation ever. The Tampa Bay Rays run their baseball team the way pilots are supposed to fly planes. Except baseball is not life or death. Baseball cannot be looked at as a 100% analytical sport. And the reason we know that is what happened last night. Kevin Cash admitted in a post-game interview that he was going to stick to his decision, that he had no regret over his decision because this is how we operate. This is how we got to where we are. Nick Anderson had a .55 ERA, one of the best relievers in baseball over the last two seasons, and he normally would get through that inning. But Kevin, it's the postseason. What about the fact that Nick Anderson given up runs in six straight outings? Well, analytics say that's too small a sample size, but my eyes and my brain say it's not. You cannot plug into a computer a formula for a player's heartbeat, for a player's off-the-field issues, for a player's discomfort in a certain situation during a certain game at a certain time. You cannot take into account that Blake Snell looked different than Blake Snell had looked in any start since he won the Cy Young in 2018. You cannot take into account any of those things because the Rays don't let you. And the Rays predetermined that this is how we win and we are going to go down the way we came or we are going to thrive the way we are. And now the Tampa Bay Rays will settle for a pennant ring for the second time in franchise history. Kevin Cash did not in any way sell out the front office. And I give him credit for that. Blake Snell did not in any way sell out Kevin Cash. And I give him credit for that. But Blake Snell certainly had some words post-game when he said he was disappointed. He wanted to finish what he started. He felt that he could get through the lineup for a third time. He wanted the ball, period. But this is how we are, and Kevin Cash knows what he's doing. By the way, that means the front office knows what they're doing, and they do. But they are so concerned with doing everything by the book and by the number and by the bandwidth of the computer they use with their algorithms that they might as well not even watch the game. You don't need Kevin Cash to manage. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's frustrating to me is that because of that, I lost the pick, I lost the way to see, and I lost the chance for the raise at a low payroll to win a World Series, which is what I wanted. So the celebration is going on on the field. And there was a little nugget from the broadcasters that Justin Turner had been removed from the game. I didn't even think about that. Ground ball in the ninth inning goes to Rios at third base. What's he doing there? He's not a defensive replacement. Did Turner just get hurt? Did something just happen? No idea. Bellinger goes out to center field for the ninth inning, the reigning National League MVP. He looks at his third baseman after the first play, not before, after the first play, and says, Jesus, that's not Turner. That's weird. And then he let it go. Meanwhile, Rios is put in the game. Meanwhile, Kike Hernandez is put in the game, but not before he is in the dugout And he sees Andrew Friedman uncharacteristically coming down to the dugout to talk to Dave Roberts. We've had to speak to managers during the game before. The way we do it is we call down to the clubhouse. We get the equipment manager to send someone to the dugout saying, hey, pick up the phone. We need to talk. And we'll talk to a manager if there's something going on during a game or the bench coach if there's something going on. But to go down and visit and pull the manager out of the dugout during the game, that means something major's going on. And major it was. Andrew Friedman told Dave Roberts that he had to pull Justin Turner from the game because Justin Turner, the longest standing Dodger next to Kershaw and Kenley Jansen, the minor league free agent who has survived six postseasons and was trying to win his first championship, was pulled from the game because he had tested positive for COVID. Holy shnikes. My mind couldn't stop racing. I've actually was up until five o'clock this morning reading and thinking about what, what I would be doing, how this all went down. So here's really what happened. Let's go back to all the PR that baseball has gotten for getting this season going. Let's go back to the Marlins and the Cardinals outbreak. Go back to the Mar- Mar- the Marlins. Coca, edit that out. Go back to the Marlins. Three positive tests on a Saturday. They play Philadelphia on a Sunday. The game goes on. It becomes a full outbreak. The Phillies stop playing. The Marlins stop playing. Testing starts again. Then the Cardinals have an outbreak. But they, after the first few positive tests, don't play at all. Then for the rest of the regular season, anytime a player tested positive, the next game was postponed. 
They then decide to do the postseason after the wild card round in two bubbles, one in California, one in Texas. They shut down for the rest of the regular season any sort of anybody leaving your hotel on the road, any sort of anybody leaving your house at home. They had security guards, hall monitors. We talked about it, nothing personal. PR release after PR release. Nobody's testing positive in baseball. Coke, I think it had been 57 days since the last positive test. It is a brilliant accomplishment by baseball. Game six of the World Series comes. The postseason bubble's working. They brought in families to quarantine. The families joined the players. Everyone's happy in Dallas. The Dodgers had been there for what seemed like a month. Testing every day. Taking the samples from Texas. Sending them to Utah. Getting them back. Justin Turner got a positive test on Monday. This can't be true. It had to have been inconclusive. It had to have been. Because a positive test for Justin Turner Monday means that the Dodgers should not be playing Tuesday. That's what happened during the regular season. So maybe you assume it was a false positive. You test it again. So they tested him again Tuesday. They rush it to Utah. In the second inning of the game, the test comes back positive. It's the sixth inning before the Dodgers are told. It's the eighth inning before Justin Turner's pulled out of the game. That's the timeline. MLB better confirm that. They better step up and give me some sort of statement about what happened. And they better talk about what happened post-game two. Justin Turner disappears. Rios takes third. The Dodgers celebrate like they'd won a World Series and are going to Disney World. Ironic, by the way. I wonder if that's still going to be a commercial. Why, after the NBA won the title and the Lakers, did they not do a commercial with LeBron James? Hey, you just won the NBA championship. Where are you going? Hey, I'm getting out of Disney World. That'd be a funny commercial for Disney to do, right? Hey. Justin Turner, you just won the World Series. Where are you going? Isolation. (laughs) It's not even funny. It's unbelievable. The game went on with Justin Turner having a positive test. This celebration, non-social distance celebration, masks being worn below the nose, below the mouth, And then we start getting post-game comments because then the unthinkable happened. It can't be. Is that Justin? T- Wait, that's not Justin Turner, is it? The, Justin Turner, the guy with the long beard? Is he on the field celebrating? Wait, is, is his? No way. There's no way that Justin Turner is in the team photo sitting next to Dave Roberts, who's a cancer survivor and at risk, sitting next to Andrew Friedman, sitting next to all of his teammates without his mask. There's no way, right? Oh, oh, that that's not Justin Turner. All right, we're good. Yes, it was. Mookie Betts. He's part of the team. Forget all that. He's part of the team. We're not excluding him from anything. Anonymous Dodgers official. We're going to get him a picture, then get him off the field. We can't deny him that. The guy is the heart and soul of the organization. Corey Seager, 
It hurts me. I can't imagine how he feels. If I could switch places with him, I would. That doesn't sit well with me that he can't be part of the post-game celebration. Nothing personal, I must say. I understand the politicized movement that is COVID. I understand the death rate has been decreased. I understand that we're in the middle of a spike and we have an election in six days. I understand all of it. What I don't understand is when you are running a company and you've got a set of rules, and this is not analytics, folks. This is science. When you have a set of rules to govern the action of your employees during a pandemic, it doesn't matter if it's the most important meeting of the year. It doesn't matter whether it's the most important game of the year. It doesn't matter if you've got your biggest client and you're trying to close your biggest account. The rules are put in place for the safety of you, your family, and your fellow employees. Could game six have become a super spreader event? Is it possible that Justin Turner is the only positive test? Well, history would tell me of COVID that if it's a false positive, then everyone's okay. But if it's an actual positive, then everyone in that Dodgers clubhouse, including Dave Roberts, is subject to get COVID-19. What is MLB going to do now? How ironic and how 2020 that what could have been a great moment for baseball, a great headline of a successful season completed under great strain and hardship, not compared to the people who are unemployed and compared to the people who have family members who are dead, but in terms of sports, they got through a season, they crowned a champion. That would have been the great headline. And now all anyone can talk about is Justin Turner testing positive for COVID. Justin Turner returning to the field to celebrate. Wondering, would MLB have postponed game seven to a night that would have then conflicted with the NFL? To a night that would not have been as, shall we say, successful as a Wednesday night game seven. How much did Rob Manford want the Dodgers to win game six once he realized what was going on during that game? When that call comes to Rob Manford from Dan Hallam, the deputy commissioner, when it's a positive test, I can only tell you how sorry I felt for Rob Manford. Some people are criticizing Rob for how it was handled. Some people are criticizing the commissioner for how he sounded on the microphone, giving out the MVP award to Corey Seager, who, by the way, was a monster during the World Series. Rob Manford's doing well. He's okay. For those of you who are worried, it can be hard with an earpiece and with a microphone. But there was a lot going on in his head. He didn't know whether or not to allow the Dodgers to leave Texas. He still doesn't know this morning. Didn't know what the impact would be and whether or not people would get it, including families, pregnant wives, older people involved in the teams. 
didn't know what it meant for 2021, the uncertainty that he now faces regarding COVID. All of this is going on in his head as the game is finishing. But the first thing they were smart to do was to get him off the field. Why he took the field, that will be debated. The way the regular season had gone down, you don't take the field. Either the whole team doesn't take the field, or if you can say that there was contact tracing and Justin Turner was not with anyone, then just Justin Turner doesn't take the field and you go ahead and play game six. But Andrew Friedman said after the game that we are all together in the bubble. We have all been close. When contact tracing is done, we are all going to be subject to the contact tracing rules. He was asked about Justin Turner taking the field without a mask. He had taken it off for the photo. He wore it a few other times when he was on the field celebrating, holding the trophy. When asked about that, he said, I haven't seen the pictures. Give me a break. Andrew is sitting right next to Justin Turner. Just say, I don't want to comment on this. I want to get all the information. Don't lie. I haven't seen the pictures. I understand the question, he said. If there are people around him without masks, that's not good optics at all. But I think from our standpoint, I think the people who were around him were the people that would be in the contact tracing web anyway, which is how closely a lot of us have been around each other. Now, he continued, I think that subsequent tests we're going to take are really important to figure out what we do and to make sure any of us who are potentially positive do not spread it to other people. If I am the governor of California, I do not let the Dodgers plane take off until I know for sure that every single one of those people have tested positive twice within 24 hours. There's no way the LA team plane takes off. You want an official wait to see? The Los Angeles Dodgers team will be in the Texas hotel tonight as though there had been a game seven. The earliest book at Coca, the earliest the Dodgers will be allowed to leave is Thursday, October 29th. There's no way you're letting that team back into California. We know the Dodgers already took rapid tests when they got back to the hotel. So sad. When we got back to the hotel after winning the World Series in 03, all of Jack McKeon, me, Larry Beinfest, Mike Hill, Dan Jennings, and all of and our wives were all in Jack McKeon's suite. And you know what we did after winning the World Series? And when we got back to the hotel, we watched the highlights of the game on loop, we watched HQ didn't exist at the time. We watched Sports Center in our bathrobes with cigars inside a room, much to the chagrin of those who didn't like cigar smoke. The Dodgers celebrated by going back to their hotel, isolating and getting rapid tests taken. There will be questions as to how Justin Turner could test positive. Did he violate protocol? There had been negative tests all the way every day up into game six, up into the Monday before game six. Did he leave the hotel? Did someone break protocol by coming into contact with him? There has to be an explanation. We may never know the exact reason, but as a consequentialist, I don't even care what the reason is. The reality is people get covid you can catch it if you're not wearing a mask and you are not social distancing. That's just a fact. 
And if you are irresponsible enough to act that way, you are risking giving it to someone who may not be able to recover the way 99% of the people do. You want that on your head? You want to live with that guilt? Justin Turner is too great a guy to do that. Where do we go from here? MLB, in my mind, has to make a statement. They have to explain what the procedures were because right now everyone is speculating. All of the articles that should be about the game and the World Series and the Dodgers being champions, all the articles are about COVID and about Justin Turner taking the field again after testing positive. All the articles are about why the game was being played. MLB has to stop stepping on itself and get out behind from this story. The expression is get out ahead of the story. That's what you do when you're proactive with PR. MLB has a bad habit of being reactive. This is another example, but they had best react now. I want to see a statement that says, and it doesn't need to be live with Rob meeting a camera. It can be a written statement from Rob. It can't be for immediate release where it's unsigned. It has to be from the commissioner where he explains the exact timeline He explains exactly why and how he made the decision he made to play the game, who he was in consultation with, and what happened after the game when the Dodgers willfully ignored the Players Association and MLB and had Justin Turner and allowed Justin Turner to retake the field maskless for a photo and hold the trophy and hug the players. He doesn't have to announce suspensions or fines right now but he has to give the rest of the league and the rest of the league sponsors and the rest of the fans a conclusion to 2020 that is complimentary of their process, that acknowledges what they did wrong here in the World Series, and that looks ahead to what they're going to do in 2021. You don't have to provide every answer of what 21 is going to look like. You don't have to talk about whether fans will be allowed. You don't have to talk about whether the season is going to start on time. You talk about the fact that we will continue to operate with the health and safety of all players, employees, staff, and fans as we make decisions for the offseason. That's how you conclude it. But you start it with a real explanation of what happened. You've got to in PR sometimes. You just got to wear it. It doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make it something you really want to do. But how often on Nothing Personal have we seen people in charge of a team, owners, commissioners, have we seen them not want to do the right thing because it's too hard? not want to do the right thing because it's easier to mislead the public or it's easier to say nothing. And what we say all the time is don't be that. Tell us the truth. And then all you have to say is listen. It was business. It was nothing personal. Here you go. Here you go. 